Hello, and welcome to the XR Stories podcast, where extended reality and storytelling meet. In this series, you'll meet creative producer John Rose Adams. John will be talking to the creators and innovators behind immersive storytelling projects supported by XR Stories. You're going to hear about all sorts of interactive storytelling genres, from theatre to gaming to virtual reality escape rooms, and so much more. This time, John is chatting to Kit Monkman of KMA and Viridian FX. Kit is currently developing the virtual reality film experience, The Dark Room, which explores the concepts of memory and truth through a very unique format. So, get your headsets on, look around you, and listen carefully as we explore the sights and sounds of The Dark Room. I'd like to start this conversation like all civilised exchanges should be. Could you introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about both KMA and Viridian FX? Hi, I'm Kit Monkman and I kind of work as an artist under the banner of KMA, but I'm also a director of a York-based visual effects company called Viridian FX. And there's there's other sides to your professional um, kind of life, so talk us through those as well. Back in, like, gosh, 2005, so what, that's, got 16 years ago, I was doing quite a bit of work in theatre, theatre sort of design, but using projection, using new technologies to try and create kind of kinetic scenery. And we did a piece at Sadler's Wells that was just seen by, you know, just by chance, by a guy who was making some TV commercials. And he came and found us after the show and said, I would really like you guys to work on a TV commercial with me. And I was working with a colleague, Tom Wexter, at the time, and neither of us knew the first thing about television or making commercials or anything. But we, so we said, yes, of course, as you do. And it just so happened that exactly the same time this director was, was about to embark on his first feature film. So we were sort of catapulted from this state of not knowing into really kind of quite high level <laughs> filmmaking. And that really kind of began a whole new career for me, initially in visual effects and actually working with the University of York. We managed, in a sense, by, I think, acknowledging my own incompetence and inability to really deal with what it was we were, we'd undertaken. I went to see John Mateer at the university and, um, and said, look, we kind of need some help here. And so from that, we hatched the idea to try to make a film that was 100% green screen, but used visual effects as a kind of theatrical abstraction and bizarrely managed to sell the idea to Universal and ended up making this film called Knife That Kill Me, which was very kind of experimental um, and was made entirely with a group of graduates from the university, all of whom then went on to form a company called Viridian. So we finally, finally got to where Viridian is. So Viridian came absolutely out of a kind of experiment. That's brilliant. And that's the perfect intro because from those threads of experimentation, visual abstraction and visual effects, I think they were sort of your founding areas you wanted to push and explore in the in the project that we're talking mostly about today. So a project that's come to be called The Dark Room. Pitch us the story, so what's it about? Well, it's really about a relationship that develops between a very elderly, quite kind of middle-class white woman who is sort of coming towards the end of her life and who ends up being in an ongoing conversation with a young woman who's of Jamaican origin 
and they start to talk about this old lady's experience of a summer that she spent as a sort of late teenager. And it really becomes a story about, um, about stories and who gets to tell them and what happens when they get forgotten. And this old lady attempting to try to, in to some extent, to try to validate her own story. And I suppose, you know, it's also very much about memory and about truth. And so it kind of felt like an interesting place to experiment with form as well, because although in many ways The Dark Room is a much more conventional film stylistically than, than either of the two that I've made before and borrows much, much more from a kind of cinematic tradition, I think there's the one area that it's still quite experimental with is flashbacks and memory, because as we all know as human beings, you know, we don't we don't flash back to perfect photographic memories of, of our past. Our memories live alongside us and change with us. And so I kind of wanted to play with a language that could begin to experiment a little bit with that in a visual way as well as in a narrative way. That's incredible. And so so the dark room is a feature film that is in development still? It's in development. We're hoping we're planning to shoot it in Portugal in this autumn, or late autumn, so October, November. Brilliant. Uh, so alongside that, and actually we should talk about how they interact in terms of um, your thinking as well. So alongside the theatrical, you know, flat screen experience is this 3D abstracted world, which is the, uh, we've variously called a theatrical trailer, uh, an immersive trailer. Talk us through that then. So because the project focused on this 3D world and the visual potential of this world. So talk us through kind of, I guess, why you wanted to explore it in a 3D environment as well as in a 2D. Where did you think that would take you on a journey? It's always interesting, I think, or I find it interesting to engage with new visual storytelling opportunities. And VR is clearly pregnant with potential. I found, I remember, you know, there, there are very few moments, I think, in a sort of technological life, if you like, which feel truly transformative. There are a few moments when you really do feel that things are fundamentally shifted. And for me, one of those moments was putting on a VR headset and thinking, oh my God. And I kind of suppose I just wanted to, to explore that in terms of what might be possible with a short form narrative in VR. Um, I think one of the things that felt like nobody had, or at least in my experience, nobody had really done much with was composited VR, which by which I mean a kind of mixture of live action and sort of virtual worlds. There's an awful lot of, you know, computer animated VR and there's quite a lot of cinematic VR, but there doesn't seem to be much that blends those two together. So I was interested in that. And I think there's something as well that, that feels so inner about VR that it kind of, I mean, quite literally, you, you block out your senses in order to look inside or at least to be offered another way of looking inside. And so I think it sort of felt like it was an interesting technology for this project. There was some synchronicity there between the idea of memory and, and unreliability and this sense of being kind of cap captive inside your own or an invented space. One of the things we were trying and have been trying to develop is a way of moving 
from one time frame to another without just cutting, because obviously the conventional film language, you know, albeit occasionally in, in, back in the 60s and 70s with that wonderful kind of wavy, wavy scream. But, there, you know, when you go backwards in time, you, you know, there is essentially it's, it's just a harsh cut and there you are, you're somewhere else. And I think I was really interested in this sort of uh, limbo between the very present and the very past and the way that those two things collided. And actually in our the VR experiments, there was something very interesting I found about the kind of natural panning that you do with your head when you're searching. Essentially, there are a series of small vignettes, uh, which are memories, which exist around a central room. And the central room is kind of the grounding present. And then beyond that, these kind of vignettes come and go in a sort of rather abstracted space beyond the room. In, in trying to move your attention from one of these vignettes to another, I became very interested in how and what one saw and how the kind of, for example, the, the, some of the objects within the room that grounded the present mixed with the past in a way that felt to me very actually analogous to the way that memory genuinely works. And it's just that interesting thing, isn't it, that memory is this kind of constant revisionist sort of creation. This, this world in which the, the protagonist's memories are sort of, sort of swimming in and out of view, almost invading in some places there's beauty in it but there's also you know the memories are quick and fluid and they they're also jarring and all of that kind of stuff i mean it seems that virtual reality was was made for that kind of experiential moment yeah i mean i, I suppose the i mean the the fundamental issue because theoretically you could couldn't you you could pretty much do whatever could be done using conventional film in vr if you were prepared to accept the resolution would be lower and you prepared to accept your audience would just look in one direction all the time and just sit there so you know in that sense there is you know there, you could absolutely argue that there's nothing that vr can't do but of course the whole point of putting on a vr headset surely is that you take some kind of ownership of your choices about where you're looking and how you're kind of potentially moving around a space or though often you are just sitting and as soon as that happens, then, of course, as the storyteller, you have to relinquish control up to a point because we've developed a sort of 2D frame for film that is all about controlling the viewer's experience. And that's a very difficult thing, I think, to let go of, particularly if you're trying to tell a very specific linear story, because in a sense, you feel that it's your job to highlight the, the points of that arc. And therefore, why would you give somebody control to look in the opposite direction at the point that you you really need them to be looking in, in one direction or another? So there were two things that I was interested in specifically, apart from this more broad thing of trying to look at the kind of aesthetic. And I suppose the two things that I was looking at or interested in specifically was to what extent can you kind of corral your subject's gaze and attention? And does that feel coercive or does it just feel like it just accidentally happened to be looking at the right point at the right time and isn't that wonderful and I suppose the other thing was just that if that wasn't possible if I felt that that really was not going to be something that VR was capable of doing in any way as well as linear media like film is there something about the poetry of 
that space that you can really amplify. It may not be the best linear story form, but in terms of maybe just putting you into an environment that makes you feel something, it might be a really interesting experiment. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you learn about? So that fascinates me around the gaze of the viewer in in a virtual reality experience. And, and I, I suspect I've been guided in various experiences in VR that I've been in with some sort of unknown kind of like tricks and tips for attracting attention. So things I'm guessing here, things like use of sound as a as a kind of a, an orientation device to say something's happening over here right now and all that kind of stuff but were there any things that you you found through the experimentation that were particularly kind of useful and that you know that have gone into the sort of the kit monkman toolkit for for, for vr experiences well i mean funnily enough i think the overriding feeling was i quite soon in the process felt that I felt kind of uncomfortable and slightly unhappy with the attempts to direct attention that actually it was sort of working against what I felt the medium could do best. So I kind of came down fairly heavily on the side of, certainly in its current form, VR being a much more potent poetic form than it is a kind of linear storytelling form. And so for this short form piece, the the only thing I think that we really felt was the kind of linear backbone to it was a voiceover. And that everything else I felt it was it was stronger and more potent to allow or the audience completely free reign to just let their eyes wander and it's a fully 360 kind of immersive space that we've created and so we started to play with that a lot and ended up with a kind of i think a visual treatment that we're going to use in the feature film that absolutely wouldn't have happened had we not done those experiments in VR. Brilliant, that's brilliant, because I think a lot of the time they're considered to be sort of separate endeavours. Sometimes a VR piece might be a almost like a brand activation for a, a feature or a series, but I really like it, the way you've described it there, as formative, informative for a piece of, let's say, traditional media, a, a traditional feature. That's really, really fascinating, actually. When we talk about sort of XR technologies, um, which include virtual reality headsets, but also include a lot of the time include games engines powering and this stuff, is that we have XR as the sort of the medium of delivery, so putting on a virtual reality headset and experiencing a virtual reality thing. But increasingly, the technologies are a force for production for all kinds of media, which includes virtual reality, but also includes video games, which may be 2D or 3D, and virtual production is now pretty much the only thing anyone ever talks about, certainly in, in my uh, small part of the world. I was hoping we could unpack that a little bit. How do you adopt these technologies as you go about the process of creation? And that and, and your creation, I know, ranges across, you know, film, but also art practice as well. Where do you see the kind of the creative and the tool-based potential for XR technologies? Well, absolutely. And I, I mean, actually, the this project... I've, I've found myself leaning more and more on this technology in, in creating work, as, as has Viridian. So basically, it started by once I got over this or was in the process of getting excited by this idea of moving the head in a kind of panning way that the camera might do, but thinking actually about how you might choreograph that with, with sets I started to use a thing called Gravity Sketch, which is a sort of basic, very basic 3D modeling tool 
in VR and found that incredibly useful for a few months because I would basically get sent models that the, our visual effects team had built that I could put into this environment and then either treat them as Lilliputian sort of train sets, if you like, and move them around and look from on high at the space. And then within a second, you know, make them life-size and walk through them from a point of view of a sort of potential director looking at a project, it was transformative. I got hugely excited by that. And then in parallel with that, as you say, I mean, Viridian was increasingly excited by the prospects of virtual production. And we had lots of conversations about virtual production, you know, replacing green screens with LED screens and all of, all of this, that stuff. And as a result of that, Certainly one of the guys at Viridian has spent pretty much the last year sort of getting his head around Unreal Engine and working almost exclusively within that. So that what I started in Gravity Sketch as a, as a really basic thing is now quite extraordinary in that we're doing it all in Unreal. And, you know, those sort of uh, environments are fully textured and lit and it is absolutely extraordinary. And I think now there is probably not a single visual effects project that we as a company do that we wouldn't sit a director down with a VR headset and let them see our planned kind of visual environment beforehand because it's 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 just so powerful. And although we probably aren't still going to use green screen for the 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 elements in the darkroom. We absolutely are planning to have live keying on set using Unreal so that those bits of green screen will immediately and in that moment be replaced with what we're intending to see beyond the green, if you like. And what does that mean for um, visual effects and post-production studios? Does that mean that the trade is transformed Does it, or does it mean simply that you're part of the main production phase in a much bigger way than you would be more traditionally going back? a few years so how, how does it reposition vfx well that's a really interesting question because i mean i think it may, in some ways what maybe made viridian unusual was that we always felt kind of quite positioned in the early part of the process of the filmmaking decision making if you like because the advantages that we'd got from working on knife meant that all of these young people were actually really adept at thinking not just in terms of visual effects but in terms of the filmmaking process and so i think we've worked with a number of directors who've really enjoyed that and will work with viridian because they feel that that's what they're getting that they wouldn't necessarily get from other visual effects companies but i think you're right i think it will increasingly make that available to more companies and i think that increasingly you know if, if directors can sit at home with wearing a vr headset and and you know inhabit environments that are going to be part of their filmmaking universe i'm sure that will make the iterative conversation around what the visual effects might be doing much more complex and and that can only i think be a good thing from a company point of view but also from a creative point of view i mean this is all about you know ultimately trying to tell great stories isn't it and and i think that the the process which as i say i think was already happening which is that visual effects were becoming increasingly drawn into the storytelling process i think that's definitely going to be massively accelerated that's really interesting i wanted to also explore the the so you've already touched on the fact that you've got a long standing relationship with the university of york and and it, on this project the darkroom you continued that relationship in particular with john Mateer and um guy Schofield. so what what was the nature of that partnership and what were the what was the university's contribution within the team 
the relationship with the university has always been, for me, a really rich one. And that's obviously, I mean, you know, I, I talk about the university as an institution, whereas in fact, it's really with people as always. But obviously, you know, those people are backed up by an institution which has the ability to, to facilitate some extraordinary possibilities. But this fundamental relationship I've had with John Mateer, which is really sort of, must be got 20 years old now, has been really valuable to me. And that's on so many different levels, really. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about the university, and I think this is more broadly in terms of lots of the relationships, is is just that opportunity to test ideas, to have conversations that, that have a very different agenda. Because clearly, if you're working in the creative sector, which is, a, you know, however much it would like not to be, is beholden to all the kind of entrepreneurial capitalist endeavour that everybody else working out there is is open to. There's something really nice about being able to discuss ideas in an uncompetitive environment with people who are approaching maybe similar ideas, but from really fundamentally different perspectives and with different sense of responsibilities and timings and, 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 and. And I think that that matters a lot to me, actually. That's a really valuable conversation that I've lent on many times. It strikes me that that's a great element of partnership with an academic institution which is being able to just kind of roll up sleeves and all produce something experimental together and not just but although it's really valuable not just to talk about the what-ifs and the theoreticals and 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 where the research points but actually go off and make something and have a look at it and then test it out and see how it works it's absolutely vital i mean uh, you know it's a kind of very prime example really of that academic business relationship working and fundamentally developing a whole slew of ideas that you know have actually created real benefits certainly for me <laughs> not for anybody else let's get down to business chat are things beginning to emerge is it is it easier to get immersive more experimental pieces commissioned and funded or are we still at that point where the I guess the the audience and the technology and the creatives are still trying to find the magic spots where, you know, people are prepared to buy these things or even probably more importantly, major media companies are prepared to invest towards them. I definitely think that there is much more openness to new forms of work, if you like. But at the same time, I suppose that must make it more difficult because if you're starting out, you know, you're, it's a much more competitive space. All of that said, I mean, if I if I could rewind back the clock or my own clock and kind of re-enter this sphere in my kind of early mid twenties, I think I'd be massively excited. So you you know you know like so your first sort of experiences in VR were there any sort of pivotal kind of things that you sort of saw? Were there any pieces um, in there that kind of made you go, oh right? I think the the VR piece that struck me the most was notes on blindness and i think only because it it felt like it was using the technology as an empathy enabler to make it possible to understand a very different place and a different way of being so i liked it on that level and i also liked it because it embraced abstraction it embraced the negative space that vr places you in um, and didn't feel any desire to try to fill that. So yeah, I think that was that was the most compelling 
VR experience that I've discovered so far. It's been really, really interesting to hear the way in which you so eloquently articulate your illustrious career from the early stages of experimentation in visual media, but that you can draw a line all the way to today and it's not technological advances in the last few years have enabled some new form of storytelling. It's that it's all been an evolution over a number of years and that's really interesting. Brilliant. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to the XR Stories podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review to help more people find us. You can find more information on our projects by heading to our website, xrstories.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at xr underscore stories. XR Stories supports research and development in cutting-edge digital technologies in the Yorkshire and Humber region. We have a programme of funding, research collaboration and connection to champion a new future in storytelling. XR Stories is supported and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, the European Regional Development Fund, the University of York, the British Film Institute and Screen Yorkshire.